Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, how are you doing today? Got a throwback episode, huh? Yes, throw. We were just talking um, last few weeks. It seems like, even though we're in that kind of in that between the two signing periods, you'd think there's like a lot going on. We spent a lot of time talking nil theory. All that stuff's fine. It's part of the recruiting world. But today, I think kind of a throwback episode. We're going to the roots of Stars Matter. We're just we're talking teams. We're talking recruits. Um, I think it's gonna. I'm, I'm excited. I think it's gonna be a good show. Yeah. Yeah. Um... A lot of research too that I did all exclusively by myself. So I'm happy to, you know, boost the show up with my hard work and carry it on my back. Thanks, Mitch. Yes, and if anybody anybody has listened to us one time in the past two years, they know that yeah, you are not being truthful there. Um, but uh, you do you bring a lot to the show. It's not necessarily research or data. It's uh, I'm a gamer. Yeah, it's personal. You yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you just you don't need to go to practice. You're like this NBA player. You hurt. You don't practice during the week or football player. You don't practice during the week. You show up on game day and perform. Yes, but uh, you know, considering all the writing that we're doing every day, it's kind of hard not to be up to date with a lot of right, the stuff. That exactly. We're about. Your, your, so, show, your show prep is your uh, is your day. Is my life. Yeah. Yeah. I get, uh, it. I get it. But yeah, no. Let's uh, let's dive into it. I know that. We have like 27 topics and we're going to, yes. this is an hour long show. So we'll see how many topics we get into. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. We're not going to spend a lot of time on any one topic, but we're going to bounce around. First of all, national signing day is Wednesday. It still is called national signing day because December is the early signing period. What is the there, style on that Mitch? It is. That's so what you say said. national signing day. But so it's not national signing day in December. No, it's the early signing period. Right now okay, we can, people know what we're talking about. But you know, you get on me, as you know, I'm very literal and I like to call things for what they're called. And so I refer to it as the early signing period. And this is National Signing Day, uh, which in the early signing period, you have to sign in those three days or you can't sign until February. When February signing period, it's called a day, but it's really you can sign anytime That's after it. that. Yeah, it's a finish line. Yeah, uh, you don't, or, or you don't have to sign. Um you can wait and just show up like as you we've talked about and others have talked about if you're a five-star prospect you really don't have to sign you can just show up on campus like they're not going to say that's what i'd do yeah but you're not you know i'd wait for the check to clear and then i would come i know um so there are four uncommitted top 100 players now cormani mclean is unsigned but he is committed to colorado uh, number 18 is Nicholas Harbor, athlete. He's announcing on February 1st. I haven't really paid – I don't know how much has changed in this. I know there's a lot of Maryland. He spent a lot of time at Maryland. South Carolina's been in it. Michigan's been in yeah. it. Yeah. After we're done with the podcast, I'm going to write up, per your suggestion, some things to look out for. And Harbor's an interesting uh, prospect because I know he's taking an official visit to Oregon this weekend. Okay. And it looks like Oregon, who kind of stole the show on the first day of the early signing period in December – is kind of center stage in a few 
big time recruitments again. So it'll be very interesting to see if they can, you know, work their way in. But Harbor's uh, recruitment's been interesting because Michigan's led at one point, South Carolina's led at one point. There was some flirtation with Colorado that I yeah. think kind of has subsided now. Um, Maryland, he's been to a million times because he's from DC. So it'll be very interesting to see where he goes because I think that you can make the case that Harbor is the best pure athlete in the class. Um, you know, you saw his his track times are pretty remarkable for somebody his size. So yes. um, very excited to see where he ends up. Um, yeah, you know, and if it's Oregon, then you know we're back at it again. So we'll see <laughs> if they can if they can have a, a good enough official visit to kind of reverse all the work that some of these other programs have put into him over the course of the past six months. Um, number 22, Deuce Robinson, tight end from uh, Phoenix area, who I don't expect to sign next week. He still might take some other visits. He's talked about an Oregon visit, but it's, you know, USC, um, Alabama, Georgia, and Texas wants to play two sports. He's also a baseball uh, out. He's an outfielder. Um, Which number, one of those schools has the best baseball program? Um, Texas. They have a good school for baseball? Y- yes. For you guys te- who listen to the show, uh, Mix, Mitch is a college baseball savant. I'm not a savant. I like I like college baseball and I follow it pretty closely. I, I do not know the personnel of college baseball like I do other sports. Um, but I follow it and I know I mean I, I know who's good and, and I'll I'll tease for those college baseball fans out there. We are I'm in the in the process of putting together a college baseball coaches forum. I'm talking to about eight to ten of the top coaches around the country from coast to coast about issues in college baseball. Top are they players. not called managers in college? No, they're coaches. Top players, really? NIL uh just things to watch this season so it's going to be very interesting that'll be out right before the season starts um but uh yeah so you know usc is an under uh, underachieving baseball program they, they were great in the 60s 70s 80s they still might have the most national championships of any team but they've been basically irrelevant for the last two decades georgia has had sounds its familiar <laughs> yeah georgia has had its moments in baseball they won the national championship about maybe Maybe it's going back far when I was in college. Maybe my senior year in college, '93. But they—they are a—they're—they're they're a solid program. And then who's the, and then Alabama is probably in the lower, been in the lower third of the SEC, but still makes the the postseason. Uh, what about Vandy? Vanderbilt's very good. Um, I just didn't want you to miss an opportunity to prop up your alma mater there. That's it's yeah. It's uh, they won a national championship in the recent years, haven't they? Uh, 2014 and 2019. Wow, and playing the finals. Playing the lost in the championship game two other years. So what about um, last year, the game that we watched together? Yeah, you lost a hundred dollars on Vanderbilt, right? I talked to the Oregon State coach in that for my forum. I I I uh, I just railed on him for you know beating Vanderbilt and cost costing you a hundred dollars. Um, that wouldn't have been. Are very there college baseball lines during the regular season, or is it only when the World yes. Series starts? No, no, there's lines. You, there's over like 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 if Vanderbilt's playing Evansville on a Tuesday, you can go like over under. It'll be like eleven total runs or something like that. All right, let's ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then Jaden Rashada, uh, I think everyone's heard of him, number sixty right now, and. We're, my trivia question is based on the 247 composite. All these are two fours, these numbers. These are as of earlier this week. I think all the services are tweaking their numbers as signing day approaches. So if I say someone's number 60 and you're at home listening to this Thursday or Friday and they're not that number, it's because they've been changed. Um, not sure when Jaden Rashada is committing or announcing. He's still in the process of visiting TCU. Uh, I think I saw online Kendall Bryles is doing a in-home visit with him. And then number 85, a guy that – you know, 
maybe you maybe need to write about or just mention in your in your thoughts column that you're coming up with is is Roderick Pleasant. We haven't written much about him. Number eighty five um, from Southern California, I believe, a cornerback. Uh, USC as a finalist. Boston College is actually a finalist. We got an official visit there, but um, I forgot Texas might be in there too. So there's only I think Cal, Oregon, yeah, uh, and UCLA are also in there too, right? Yeah, yes, uh, maybe not Texas. I think you nailed it. So so there's four uncommitted. Um, Uncommitted top 100 players, and but again, we don't think all of them will be coming off the board. So, um, just just bouncing around a little bit. Um, this name caught my attention. This has nothing to do with really anything. He's just a 24 quarterback, and you know, I'm sure you follow a lot of recruiting people like I do. Every time I see him on the uh, taking a visit, Walker White, a 24 quarterback from Little Rock, Arkansas. Every time mm-hmm. I see it. I think it's Walter White, and I get excited that there's going to be say, is Yeah, he, is he cooking up some blue there or what? <laughs> <laughs> He's being heavily recruited, so he must be doing something. So I just thought, as a uh, as a Breaking Bad fan, I thought you'd be excited that there's a. I'm actually there. rewatching it right now too because you just, got me. Heather and I just finished the, the rewatch. What, what uh, season are you on? Uh, I didn't start from the way beginning. I like to start, and I started in season four. Um, and Hank just found the uh, the book on the back of the toilet. Oh wow, that's a chilling. So, yeah, that's that, uh, that's, that's kind of when things take off. But yeah, that's one of my um, favorite scenes. The greatest show ever made. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I want to talk about South Carolina in the news lately, just for recruiting. Uh, really productive week in in 2024. The 2024 class. Cam Pringle, number 46. This is, I found this interesting. You right right now. This is the 24 class. So he's number 24. He's number 46 overall, Ari. But the number one offensive tackle, which is pretty surprising. Like when I. Usually there's top 10 players at offensive tackle. So don't first of all, that's, that's not that's a low ranking for anybody. That's not a, you would think that the number one player at every position is a five-star. Except maybe tight end, even though this year there's, you know, yeah. Um, so I'm double. It does seem, it, it does, I think it's interesting too. Cause like maybe if they get Harbor, but South Carolina with the momentum that they had at the end of last year, um, really seems to be headed in the right direction, like in all regards. Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, in 2023, they already have a top 20 class, top number 16 overall in the composite. Um, you know, and it's funny because uh, there aren't any top 100 players in their class, but it's a very solid class with a bunch of blue chip prospects in it. And, you know, as the build goes in the SEC, you know, you're not going to, you know, compare this class to an Alabama or a, or a Georgia, but it's a very solid class from top to bottom. And Shane Bieber already has a top 50 player in 2024. Uh, they could surprise some people and get Harbor here. Um, a lot of things to be excited about for South Carolina, in my opinion. Yes. A um, couple want to go dive back into the 24 class in a while in a minute, but they have, this is not new territory for them. So going back to 2007, here are their recruiting classes. You're going to hear a lot of really solid classes. Sure. Num- number seven, 35, 14, 34, 17, 15, 20, 19, 20, 25, 21, 18, 21, 19, 79 in a transition class, 24, and then a top 20 class. So this is a pro- – that's, I think, those of us look nationally, especially here in SEC country, we look at South Carolina and say that they, they, they recruit well. They've got a lot to sell. They got a great stadium, great fan base. They just, other than the Spurrier years where they won ten games three years in a row, they just haven't been able to get over the hump there. 
And I agree with you, Shane Beamer, a lot of momentum. But they, I think you'd surprise some people with those recruiting numbers. I just you know said. what? I, yeah, I think that if you went back and looked at some of those classes that were in the top twenty, there, I'd be very curious to see how deep the state of South Carolina was. Well, that that, year. That's they, they feasted on like Marcus um, Lattimore, Jadavian Clowney. They, right. they've, they've done well. So it's so now head. I'm looking at their class breakdown, and they've got uh, twenty two players in their class, twenty three, um, one who hasn't signed yet. Six of those 23 are from South Carolina. Seven are from Georgia and four are from Florida. So, and they also have somebody from DC, which, uh, you know, is that one of their better, uh, they're, they're focusing on so, the Northeast corridor. That so they, they have seemed to find success in a secondary way. Whereas before it seemed completely predicated and dependent on, you know, where they were in their territory. And I might be speaking out of turn here and I have to go back and actually look at the numbers but like getting seven players out of Georgia, which is you know more than they're getting out of South Carolina, and a lot of them very good players, uh, I think is a very exciting thing for you if you're a South Carolina fan. Vic Vicari Swain out of, out of Georgia, who's a top 200 player. Um, Jalen Kilgore, um, safety, top 300. Uh, Devontavious uh, Braswell out of Georgia, top 250. I mean, they've got guys. They're not just getting... Uh, dudes from in-state, but they're also getting the secondary players that Georgia wouldn't take, um, but would be top candidates for other second-tier teams in the SEC and even uh, the ACC, given where he's where they're located. So I, I think that there is a sensible or a sense of uh, momentum here that you have with South Carolina that you know hasn't really existed in the past in terms of on-the-field results all culminating with an uptick in recruiting and a coach that's very recognizable. So, um, you know, I know that there were some scares that Shane Beamer might consider taking the Vatech job or, you know, getting a, a different job, but they gave him a nice raise. And um, I think he's there for the long haul. And if he's there for the long haul, then I think you have a chance to build something because the biggest thing for me when it comes to building a program is, you know, all those one-off classes that you mentioned, they had some good teams in the clowny years in the Lattimore years, but, it's about continuity and sticking with the same coach who has a building. Who's going to just hop to the next place. If, uh, you know, if the opportunity presents itself and it's like, you know, maybe Shane Beamer looks at his father and was like, this guy became a legend at one place. I think I could do it here. There's every resource and imaginable in the sec and playing in the state of South Carolina that, um, you know, you know, you have the tools to be good. And the thing too is all those other South Carolina classes that you just mentioned that were in the top 20, um, you know, maybe not all of them, but most of them came during a time before Clemson became Clemson. Yes. You know, so like that's another thing too of like signing a top 17, a top 16 class um, in the Clemson era while also going into Georgia. I mean, I, I, I love this class. I want to get to some in-state numbers in a second, but this is very interesting. At least I find this interesting. Cam Pringle in 2024 is number 46, is the number one offensive tackle. The number Here are the tackles after him. Number 47, number 55, number 56, and number 58. So that's Yeah, just, and, that's, and I think, too, as like data starts coming in and more evaluations are done during the summer camp circuit, I wouldn't be surprised to see some tackles jump a little bit yes, higher. I'd be surprised if he's um, not a top 30 tackle. But that, to me, is uh, really, really good <laughs> recruiting because uh, – you have a top 50 offensive lineman in state 
That kid probably usually goes to Clemson in the last five years. You get him locked up. You get that ping, a Pringles can graphic to celebrate it. You know, things are things are looking up, you know, and uh, I know we get accused a lot about talking about Georgia and Clemson and Ohio State all the time on the show, but there really are some teams like South Carolina that are moving the needle a little bit more than they have in the past. I'm happy that we're giving them some airtime. Yeah, some more South Carolina data. Uh, Mike, also in the 24 class, Michael Smith committed this week as well. Tight end, number 134 from Savannah, Georgia. So there's a if there's a tight end from Georgia, now I don't know if Georgia offered him. I didn't look at his profile. I just saw his 134. Point being, like if even if Georgia didn't offer him, there's no shame in getting a tight end from Georgia who they didn't offer because like Georgia always has great tight ends. So you know, I mean, also too, the kid has offers shooting. from Alabama, Florida, Ohio State, Oklahoma, is Penn Georgia State, Tennessee, listed Texas. As an offer? Georgia is not, but they're listed as an interest. You okay. know, and the thing too is like the number 134 overall player as a tight end is a top 100 player in my mind because it's just harder for that position to, right. you know, get ranked higher. But it's a, he's the sixth highest rated player at his position. Now, the thing that you have to take into consideration, and the reason why this is high level recruiting, Mitch, is that Georgia in the 2023 class already has two tight ends committed, right? And I know that they're still going after Deuce Robinson, but in 2024, they have the a five-star tight end and the only five-star tight end in that cycle. So I can't imagine that Georgia is going to take five tight ends in a two-year period. Right. So South Carolina identifies that there's a player in a state that it's been focusing on that is very, very good and is probably not going to get a Georgia offer normally based on be, the – Normally, normally would, yeah. maybe at another time. Um, but there just happens to be another five-star quarter uh, or five-star tight end in the state of Georgia during that cycle, and they go get the very good player that, you know, frankly speaking, might end up being a top 100 player by the time this whole cycle's over. With he's got, uh, you know, great measurable, six foot four, two hundred twenty-five pounds, um, has a great look about him, and an offers list that shows you that he's legit. So, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that he literally committed to South Carolina two months after getting an Alabama offer. It's like, this is probably a story. And like, I know it's kind of in Grace's territory, but like, I want to call Shane Beamer and talk about this. Cause it's like, well, great. I was going to say, cause Grace did a story on uh, during the early signing period that week about how they've done well in the state of South Carolina, you know, with the Clemson factor. So here's a couple more, the 24 class South Carolina has three players and all three are blue chippers right now. And they've got crystal balls for two, the number two and three players in the state, both four stars. In, number, in the 23 class, which you've just talked about, the number one player in the state, Monroe Freeling, is an offensive tackle signed with Georgia, but players two through five signed with South Carolina. In, in 2022, South Carolina didn't sign any of the top five. They really wanted Antonio Williams, the wide receiver from Columbia, who went to Clemson. So they go from signing no top five guys in the state to signing four top five guys and off to a great start in, in, uh, in 24 and the, and the second highest rated player in the state of South Carolina in the 2024 class is Josiah Thompson, who is the number 58 overall player and the number two offensive tackle in the country. So if you can get two offensive tackle, so South Carolina has uh, two of the top five tackles, right? Two of the top five tackles in the country. And if they both end up going to South Carolina, you know, that's how you build a class together. You put two, two tackles and a tight end, and no, that that's kind of how you win in the SEC, right? You know, maybe some defensive linemen in there, some big guys who can move really well. But I'm I'm really liking what I've seen. I'm like I'm not just blowing smoke up your yeah. ass. Like I I, you know, anybody who listens to the show knows I'm not just going to gush over nothing. Like I think he's doing a remarkable job. Um, 
So a little note about Duke, um, another great quarterback name, um, Grace uh, Rayner's and ACC recruiting thoughts publishing on Thursday. And she had this note that Duke signed 26 players in December. And according to Elko, we could look this up. According to Mike Elko, all 26 were committed before he coached a game, but none are ranked in the top 750 nationally. But going forward to the 24 class, coming off that nine and four season, they've got four commits. Three are ranked in the top 700. So the three commitments so far are better than any of the 2023 commitments. Our 2020, yeah, 23 commitments. But here's they just got their quarterback in their class. He's from your neck of the woods. His name is Haas Haney. That is a good quarterback name. That's a good quarterback. It's H A U S. It's H A U S. I think he's German. I think Haas H O S S kind of reminds me of a big fella. I think that'd be a good name for an offensive lineman. Maybe better than a quarterback. It's it's H A U S. Um, He's from Alito, Texas, which is west of Fort Worth. So when he climbs in the rankings, maybe you can uh, head out there. Yeah, I drove out to Alito, Alito, Texas. about a month and a half ago, around seven o'clock, if you remember. Yes, I remember that. I, I feared for your life, but I'm <laughs> yeah. glad you made it back. Okay, we're not going to talk much theory on the pod today, but there's a question I want to bring up because I want to transition into some stuff from Manny Navarro's story. Manny had a two-part story uh, this week about five stars. It, the origin of it was how have the 2023 five stars, 2022 five stars, how did they do in the fall? And Manny mentioned it last week when he was our guest. Um and he did a lot of research, a lot of stuff. But he interviewed, I think, Andrew Evans from 247, which was really interesting. Uh, Ivans. Ivans. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, apologize, Andrew. About just kind of like how the recruiting services go about ranking five stars and all that stuff. And, and, and it's noted, and Manny said, based on the comments, and it said people did not really know this, that, but we talk about it, how the recruiting services do their rankings to project NFL draft. My question is why? Yeah, well, the interesting. I, I don't thing agree about- with that. Like, I, I want to see guys projected for college because they're 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 ranking them for for their next level, their college. You, in NFL draft guys rank for the NFL draft. College recruiters, I think, should rank for college, not for the NFL draft projections. And that, to your point earlier, that's why tight ends never get five star or rarely get five star because they're rarely first round. Tight picks. ends, interior offensive linemen, safeties, uh, kickers, safeties. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, safeties actually, there's quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my the bad, safeties yeah. are usually the most athletic players on the high school team. I am think it's funny that you brought this up because when we had Bruce Feldman on Andy's show, yeah, on Tuesday we had a debate about this, and Bruce thought that they don't recruit that or they don't rank them that way, and I was like, they they absolutely they do, and they admit it. Um, and the thing I'll say about that, Mitch, is it's an interesting thought, and we'll take a few minutes on this. But there are a lot of players that are very, very good college players who cannot sniff the NFL. Sure. Right. I mean, just my time covering Ohio State, like Braxton Miller, for instance, might have been the best college football player I've ever seen. And he flamed out of the league very quickly. So if you were to rank players like that, who like Johnny Manziel is another one. And I ended, I know he ended up being a first round draft pick, but the rankings aren't ranking NFL success. They're ranking NFL draft positioning. And that's a huge distinction because once they're drafted, then whatever happens there moving forward is completely irrelevant. All they're doing is ranking draft positioning, which I think is an indication of how good they were in college. So if you started doing it for college only without any thought of the NFL, then it would be very tricky to rank great college players 
that might not be in the like how would you rank that well you wouldn't have johnny menzel at 150 if they thought he was going to be if they thought he was going to be incredible in college but flame out in the nfl he wouldn't be ranked in the 200s or wherever he was he would be in the top 50 i think i still well, i'm think. trying to think i'm just trying to think like great I just, college I, it's players. not a huge deal like the no, no, they I do know, a great job I just, I just don't agree with it yeah it's a good discussion because we're ranking these players because we want to know how good they're going to be in college because we're watching right. college football. The only the thing college I, teams sign them to play for them in college, obviously. I'm just trying to think of other scenarios of a Braxton Miller type player who was insanely good in college, um, but he was a five star player. So, like, I don't know that I kind of feel like they're the same thing, even if we're calling them differently, because yeah. um, really good high school players are going to be really good college players. And more often than not, really good college players get drafted fairly high. Because um, he's actually a good... got, got drafted. So I don't know if there's really as big of a distinction between those two things as you think. There, there might not be. This is interesting. I'm going to go back to college baseball. The, like, all the services um, that, that do this, Baseball America, they all do, they rank prospects based on their MLB draft position. There's a lot of college baseball players, especially pitchers. A lot have come through Vanderbilt. A lot have come through the SEC that are ranked very high that do not do well in college. They might throw 100 miles per hour, but they can't command their pitches. And they don't harness it while in college. It, but they're, but they're second-round draft picks because the MLB teams see a guy throwing 100 miles per hour. They love his body type, and they think eventually he'll pan out. So we see that in, co- in college baseball. And how often do they? Sometimes they do. I mean, the, sometimes it happens they do. all the time too, where average players in college turn out to be all pros in the NFL. And it's yeah. like, why did that happen? Yeah. You know, and it's like, that's the thing that's so tricky about college evaluation. And, you know, when you're evaluating a high schooler who's 17 years old, who is still in the back end of puberty, it's really hard to tell how their body is going to fill out seven years from then, you know, but you can tell how it might fill out in the next three, which I think gives you a good idea of where they might stack up in the NFL draft. Yeah. Um, but like undersized guys, like what about like, like the undersized dude who isn't a five-star prospect because he's not a very big player like Deuce Vaughn, for instance, like what was he ranked coming out of high school? Like, and I don't know what his NFL future would be, but he was a tremendous or is a tremendous college football player. Um, it was so, like 1235. Yeah. So there you go. And it's just like, if, and the reason why he probably had a issue with his ranking, um, is because he's five, six in in high school. So like, that's going to be a part of it, but just because you're five, six in high school, doesn't mean you can't be awesome in college, but it probably means you're going to have a hard time really catching on for a longer career in the NFL. Not to say that he won't, but the odds of it are lower based on physical size. So if you were to change the the rankings to reflect college, then somebody like Deuce Vaughn might be a top 400 player uh, and you might get a more accurate reflection of what he's going to be in college and it has nothing to do with the pros. But I, I kind of like the way that it's set up now because we always talk about you know teams that are most likely to win the most games are the teams with the most NFL draft picks on them. So if you rank them based on draft picks, then at least you have a better idea of – who's got NFL players in their team and who doesn't. Do you think this is accurate? And I'm just thinking out loud here. It seems to be linebacker is a position where you see really productive, really good college players that don't pan out in the NFL because they don't have the measurables. 
Like, yeah, Vanderbilt's had a bunch of dudes who lead the SEC in tackle three straight years, but they're they're six six one and they don't run fast enough. But they're really good. They even yeah. in the SEC, good players. They just doesn't. It seems like that's a position. But they're ranked accordingly. Right, right. Yeah, Harold so, Parkins was a five star, right. and now look at him. Yeah, you know, so like that's the thing too. It's like you could have a very productive linebacker um, who racks up 130 tackles in a season and never sniffs the league, and we're a very productive player in in college. But I do think that the linebacker who's a really good college player who has no shot at being in the league probably impacts your team a lot differently than a player who has 80 tackles and is an NFL draft player. Even if the stats and, and whatever, like I still would take the NFL draft pick because of yeah. the athleticism. So I actually think that the numbers bear out quite well when you do it that way. Now, some people get confused because they think that the NFL draft pick is projecting, projecting um, and I guess you can extrapolate it a little bit based on positioning of like what they're going to be in the NFL. And I think once you get past that, it's a complete crapshoot. Yeah. So just interesting. Especially stuff. at the quarterback position. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to read some of the, some of the notes, some of the research Manny did. Um, just some some good stuff here. Eleven five star quarterbacks from 2016 through 2019 to enter college football. Five have been drafted, including three in the first round after three years: Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Tua. Eleven of the 22 five star quarterbacks since 2016, so 2016 through 2022, have transferred at least once. Um, of the 223 five-star recruits in the 247 composite to play college in college since 2016, only 11 started every game as a true freshman. Does that surprise you? So 223 five-stars, only 11 started every game no. as a freshman. I know because first of all, it's hard to start. Because you got to also think about where those guys are typically going to. Yes, it's hard. Like to the, play. the majority of the five-star prospects are going to programs that um, are already well built. So that doesn't surprise me, but you know what numbers stuck out to me there, Mitch? What? The 224, is that the, the total number? Of 223. Five, 223, the total number of uh, five stars during that four-year period. And like there's over a thousand three stars in every class. Like the number of five-star players who are making plays in the NFL regularly, despite the fact that it comes from such a, a small pool in comparison to the rest it's like a pretty good telling of how well the services have, have broken these guys down. And like, we had that discussion with Bruce about his story about how, um, you know, the defensive players in the NFL, the all pros in this year's team were average player or average ranking were like four and a half stars. Like, think about that. The, the all pro players in the NFL on the defensive side of the ball all come from that small pool or roughly that small pool. And there are thousands of other players during that same amount of time that didn't make it to the league and play that well. So it does bear out uh, over the long run, both in college productivity, but also in NFL productivity. Yes. Um, one more stat. 23 offensive linemen who were five-star rankings from 2016 through 2019. So guys that will go through the draft. 14 have been drafted. 14 of 23 five-stars were drafted, six first-rounders. So... That's a pretty good hit rate. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good hit rate, even though I think offensive line is probably the hardest position to evaluate because it's the most physical and the competition levels uh, vary so much at the high school level. But I think that the the body type that you have to have in order to become a five star offensive lineman, you know, usually they're like six foot four, six foot five, 275 pounds. and can do a. I mean, you've seen those Evan Neal videos 
of him doing the high jump and landing on those platforms. I think you have to have a certain level of athleticism and body type to be a five-star offensive lineman. And if you do, then you have a higher chance of succeeding, not only in the college game, but having the measurables that it takes to get drafted at that position. Yep. Um, There's a lot of very productive, undersized offensive linemen all over the country. That, And I think that maybe, uh, as you pointed out um, earlier about the, the ranking for college versus the draft, the offensive line, I think, would be the hardest position to do that of all of them because you could be a very productive offensive lineman in college and not even get a sniff from the NFL, but be a really good player and somebody that could transfer to a place like Alabama or Georgia and play at the highest state. Yep. Um, this, I was doing some research uh, working with Grayston and her ACC story. This was uh, very surprising to me. NC State has not signed a top five class in the ACC since at least 2010. That surprise you? Uh, ACC is not exactly recruiting juggernauts. That's about right to me. I, that makes no sense top to five me. classes in the last 14 cycles in the ACC. That's pretty surprised. bad. Their yeah. average class in the last 10 years is 7.4. But here's the deal. Dave Dorn has managed to kind of overcome that they in the last six years they are fourth in the acc in wins with 29 clemson's first and then miami and um pitt actually have 30 wins and um nc state has 29 so they're very close to being second wins despite that average so average seventh but fourth most wins yeah basically so i mean yeah they've over they've over Performed based on where the recruiting rankings would tell you, but that's not like a huge jump, right. is it? No, but they're very close to being second too. Yeah, I just think that's a program that has decent tradition over the last twenty years. Like consistently, rarely suck. They're always pretty solid. State school. It's a big school. Pretty good fan base. I just think in that league, they should be recruiting better. Well, when you think about the league in general, over that long period of time. That is kind of staggering when you think about it. Like they didn't have one class that was second. But you know. Miami, Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina, Virginia Tech. Um, maybe not so much the last few years, but Virginia Tech's had really good classes. I mean, if it's this, I bet you it's the same collection of four teams or five teams that have, have finished ahead of them every year too, right? Pretty much. Now yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you if you extrapolate that out in the ACC, how many times. Wake Forest or Duke or BC or Georgia Tech have had top five classes maybe once. That'd no. be a good comparison model. But yeah, it the team is always better than you think it would be based on those numbers. They've had some great defensive like line in the conference either. They've had some very good evaluations, defensive line, like they had that stretch there, like two or three year period where they're churning out defensive linemen. So you mentioned Wake. Here's just a couple staggering stats. Wake Forest has had one four star defensive signee since 2000 think about that one that, and yeah that's and they've won crazy. a lot of games and here's another one wake forest has had now the, the rating might not make a big like a, a thousands of perfect a, the composite like 1.000 but wake forest has had two players since 2000 with a rating of 0.9000 better 
And Alabama, hold on, hold on. It's like a middle tier four star. You got to give context to what that means. To okay, people. but hold on. Yeah, Alabama, it's 23 class. All but one of their players, nine kickers, was rated higher than that. So all of Alabama signees except for one in this one class is ranked about higher than every Wake Forest signee of the last 24 years except for two. Crazy. It's just, yeah. I mean, Dave Clawson has, I, yeah. I would say, has probably been a bigger wizard than he gets credit Otherwise, for. I mean, yeah. I mean, and he, the way that he's built it there, uh, you know, doing a lot of red shirting and, and transfers in and, and all that stuff, I think makes a lot of sense when you have um, that kind of limitation from pure talent coming out of high school. But uh, yeah, I mean, it makes you feel like the teams are playing a different sport. That's, that's the, that's my phrase. Exactly. It feels like yeah. it's a different sport. Um, so let's see. Wanna... Oh yeah. Here, here's another interesting thing I want to talk about. And as far as like, just with the port, how active the portal is now, this is, we still have signing day to go next week. So some of these teams will sign players. There's still some guys out there, but in the, in the class of 2023, 24 power five programs have 19 signees or fewer. So 24 have 19 or fewer in 2020, three years ago, only 13 power fives had 19 or fewer in 2020, in 2014, 12 power fives. So you hear that teams are signing less players because they're saving spots for the portal and that's accurate. The numbers bear it out. You know, we passed the COVID year. Are there a bunch no. of players that are coming back to college this last year that for an extra I mean, year still, that they wouldn't have had? We're not, we're not going to be past the COVID year for a while. So I wonder if COVID has a lot to do yeah. with that too. I mean, it, it definitely there, – there are, there, are fewer spot, there are fewer spots to be had on the roster because more guys are coming back for that extra year. But there's also teams are holding spots because they want transfers too. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting stat though for sure. Uh, Cal has the fewest signees with 10. Ole Miss, 12. Purdue, Kansas, and NC State just mentioned NC State with thirteen. So, yeah, didn't Ole Miss have more than ten transfers in? So, yeah, yeah, yeah Max, that, Max just had his uh, Max Olson just yeah. had his uh, new Portal King uh, candidates for the new Portal King, um, and uh, Ole Miss was among them again, very very active. So, we haven't done mailbag in a while, but I dove in some. Um, you might have answered one of these in your mailbag this week, but I thought there's some good questions, so we're going to go there. Um, Ari, imagine you are offered head coaching jobs at two different schools. School A is in a premier recruiting location, but is far behind on NIL and doesn't seem they will ever focus on that. School B is a terrible recruiting location, but have a bunch of boosters willing to put a ton of money in NIL. Which job are you picking? Uh, I would probably pick the place that has a bunch of nil because i think eventually you're going to have to be competitive in that space and if in the scenario they're saying there's going to be no adaptation from the place that's in the great area you know i i think that um i would probably go with the place that has money yeah i thought for a minute there you were going to say the 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 fertile area with the assumption that eventually they would have to figure it out but that's not really what the question implies. Suggests, yeah, the, like and, like like Michigan. Let's say Michigan. Not that that's the most fertile, but that's a fertile enough recruiting area. You figure eventually a school like that is going to be more involved in the NIL. And the thing that's confusing to me, just when we're talking generally about uh, 
NIL is? Like, are we talking about like inducement money where people are throwing cash at recruits? I think that's. Are what... we talking about NIL where you reward the players that produce on your roster with a lot of money? Because like I know that that Michigan has been quote unquote uh, slow to the party when it comes to the NIL inducement game. Like they still have a pretty competitive NIL situation, right? Like JJ McCarthy was making some pretty good bucks. Yeah, I don't know if he was making as much as CJ Stroud was, um, but Ohio State's also uh, more situated in a in a city that has bigger companies and more willingness to participate in that space. So the thing that is interesting about that question is that I don't know if those two things would ever dry, jive, because the the schools that are in the most re- fertile recruiting territories often are in the biggest cities. <laughs> And have more interest and more boost. So it's like, I think there's probably a correlation between, you know, location and and, and, I, and yes. respect to to the talent of high school, but also location as it as it pertains to businesses who want to advertise or want to get involved in in supporting the football team. So it, it would be hard. It's just like trying to think like, would you rather take the Michigan job as it as it exists right now or take the Colorado job without Dion, you know, I probably would take the Michigan job in that scenario. Um, but I guess if you're saying, would you rather coach at Tennessee or Florida state? Uh, and Tennessee's got all this money and Florida state's more a portal team. I probably would take the Tennessee job, right? Yeah, but that's not necessarily a great example either because it's while Tennessee's not a great state for for talent, it's good enough, and it's so close to other like their geographic yeah, footprint yeah. is still very good. Tennessee is a challenging place to recruit uh, the state I'm talking about, but there's enough players within a driving distance where you can make up for that. Clearly, Washington's yeah. a good example of what you're talking about with Michigan, where they're they're pretty much they're not involved in the inducement game for high school players, but they retained all of their draft, pretty much all of their draft eligible guys michael Penix coming back romo dunze and jalen mcmillan both uh thousand yard wide receivers they've done a good job with through their nil which is the intent of paying the guys who have proven that they can do it at college yeah there were some uh there were some rumors floating around the internet um not that i ever believed that they would be true but that cj stroud was making a decision about whether to go pro because of an nil deal and obviously that didn't happen but um I am wondering if we're ever going to get to the point where an NIL deal, while you're still trying to improve your draft stock, not that Stroud is, but like somebody who's like a late first rounder, early second rounder, who can get a boatload of money to play college one more year through an NIL deal, improve his stock, and then get drafted higher the following year. I guess Jared versus Florida State is probably one of the examples of yeah, that, right? I think Andy's working on a story on that. I don't know. Okay, yeah. So, I yeah, I don't know what the cutoff is if any of these guys would have been first rounders. I did rounders. think it was, it was interesting. Ohio State's uh, quarterback signee, Lincoln Kineholtz, yes, said in an interview that Washington's NIL scenario was much better than Ohio State's. Now, C- Capel wrote about this in his okay. uh, Jaden Rashada story from the other day because Washington's been sniffing around, and I kind of agree. He basically said that Washington's NIL deal was better, but you go to Ohio State, get developed. Christian said, you know, there's a chance that the kid could have misspoken too or not really meant what he said, and I tend to believe that. I, I just – he, you know, it's also from, from what we know, I just don't that think that's the case. Washington had a more attractive, guaranteed upfront scenario for a player like that, where Ohio State 
you'd get rewarded for on the back end if you turn out to be the starting quarterback there. Yeah. It's like to me, it's it's funny because if you're a five star quarterback, like if you were a five star quarterback, would you rather go play at Ohio State for free at first? Or would you rather take upfront cash from Florida? Well, I mean, I, I I don't know. It depends. I'm not of the like belief that you have to go to Ohio State to develop and to be a great quarterback. Let me change my yeah. let me change Ohio State. Okay. Would you rather go to Alabama or Georgia and get less money up front at the quarterback position, or go to Florida? Who I mean, is, Florida's is a pretty pretty nice soft landing spot. It's still. I'm not Florida. saying Florida stinks. I know. I'm saying, so I'm saying it's a very. It's a very, it's a pretty darn damn good place to as your backup option. When's the last time they had a first round pick at, at quarterback? I guess Anthony Richardson, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So it's because they haven't, you know, they've had good quarterback. Kyle Trask was a great college quarterback, um, who was obviously, you know, he's in the NFL, but he's not. A, he was not a first round pick there. So, all right, well, let's move on. You know, f- f- fun topic there. Um, this one's from Carl G. Looking at recruiting rankings. Or who is the next coach you would bet to win a national title who hasn't won one yet? Um, I think the obvious ones are Ryan Day and Brian Kelly. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, based on recruiting rankings, for sure. Yeah. Josh Heupel's interesting. I thought about that one. Marcus Freeman? Um, yeah. I mean, Ryan Day was a field goal away from winning one this year. So... uh in my opinion, anyway, yeah. I know that fires some people up, but uh, you know, I don't know if that's the spirit of the question, though. Right, because like you wouldn't consider Ohio State. Is yeah, a, it's like you're not like an up and coming guy there. Right. Like he you're, just, he you're just the expectation come, is right. that you do it or you fail. He showed up on third um, base, Ari. I mean, <laughs> I didn't think that that was a rude way to phrase it, but he did have an advantageous path to <laughs> yeah where he's at. I mean, I think he would acknowledge that. Yeah, Dan Lanning. I thought about him. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think, Fish? The, I think, no, not Jed Fish. What about Steve Sarkeesian? Is Steve Sarkeesian going to go down if he doesn't do well at Texas? Bro, they just sounded number three class with I know. Manning in it. How could he not be the answer? He's, he's coached at USC, Washington, and Texas. It's three pretty damn good jobs. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't really, yeah. I don't know that Washington kind of falls into that category of it's, national it's, title. But if you're, they've won a national title in the past, you know, 30 years. So, Mitch, I know I'm not allowed to speak of anything before the year 2000. You don't acknowledge football. I love you. Year 2000. I really do. But winning a national championship in 1994 is not the same thing as winning it now. It's just I know not. That. I know that. So, so the fact that I'm not putting Washington in the same level as Texas and USC, I'm just saying that's that's okay. That's a pretty darn good third best job on your resume. Yeah, you, for a guy no, who's never really won jobs. Anything. Yes. Uh, oh, that was the point you were making. Yes, I thought you meant like, oh, if he hasn't won it yet, then he. No, can't no. That was oh. my point. Is like this guy who hasn't really won anything has had three very good jobs. Yeah, and he he was doing okay at SC, right? But it didn't well, it work so out true. for off the field issues. Yeah. So. You know, I don't know. I mean, when you he said based on recruiting rankings, which coach who hasn't won a championship, I think Sark, based on recruiting rankings and what he brought into the program, you know, I would use that as my. But that's the trap that I've fallen in with Texas for the last ten years. Yeah, great recruiting classes. They should be awesome, and they stink. So, will he be able to pull them out of that that 
terrible cycle? I mean, I don't know. Uh, I guess I would probably think that Brian Kelly would win a championship at LSU before he would there, right? Based on, you know, uh, the ability to do it year over year. I mean, LSU is going to sign top 10 classes every year, no matter what. And it's a program that the last three coaches have won a national title. Yeah. So, you know, are we allowed to mention Nick Saban's national championship at Mm -hmm. at LSU? That's too far in the back. It's too far back. Okay. I actually kind of feel like winning a national championship in the PCS era is almost irrelevant. What have you, you know, it's like Auburn, Auburn won a national championship 10 years ago, and it's like that championship is so much different than the ones that have been won since, right? Right, but we also talk about the reason Auburn can like be just a total dumpster fire and still sign a top 20 class is because it's Auburn, and they, they're mm-hmm. always, they, they find ways to win, even when they are bad the, the next year. Who would group. you bet your money on, though? Of that group? Uh, Ryan if you, No, if you had to just pick... Oh. Ryan Day's out. He doesn't count. Okay. If you take Ryan Day out of it, who would you pick for the remaining coaches to win a national championship first based on what you've seen about You know what name you didn't mention? Brent who? Venables. Brent Venables is another name that should be mentioned. They had a very good class. I would probably pick Brian Kelly just because I think he's the best coach of that group. What about Mario Cristobal? I would go with Brian Kelly because I think he's the best coach of that group. Yeah. Jimbo Fisher's won one, but it was the right. BCS era. Right, but he's... He's won one, so he's not part yeah. of that. Um, Jim Harbaugh. But not by recruiting rankings. I know. All right. You answered this in the mailbag, but let's say two years, Coach Prime has recruiting classes with 10 top 100 players in it. Does that give hope to non-Blue Blood programs, or is Deion Sanders in a world of his own, as you answered? Nothing that Colorado does over the next five years is uh, can be replicated at other non-Blue Bloods, unless Deion Sanders goes there. It is a perfect storm. Agree? Are you talking about Colorado and what they're doing? Is that what you yeah, said? like like he's the the question is can does that give hope for another non blue blood? Andy to- Andy gave me crap for this take on the show the other day because he's like, why are you so concerned about what happens afterward? Just enjoy the now. Yeah. And I guess there's a certain extent to that, but it's like if I were a Colorado fan, I would be very excited about the potential of a Deion Sanders led program i don't know if i would be excited about the post Deion sanders era whether that's in two years or 10 because i don't know if he is providing a blueprint in any regard for the next coach to follow because his blueprint is being Deion sanders so when it says to you like hope or does this give hope to other non-blue blood programs i mean i guess if you want to go hire Deion sanders but like what are they going to take from this Okay, I, I let me go back to, to Andy's point and, and your point about Colorado. I see what you're saying, but I think he, if he has success there and moves on after four or five years, they will have built up infrastructure. Their facilities will be better. Their NIL package is better. Their, tra- their, their admissions has softened and their transfer softened. He will have done a lot of things that will help that no, new coach win that were hurdles for reasons why previous coaches couldn't win. And they will have won, so they will have a very attractive candidate the pool will be much better than when they hired Carl Durrell. So I, I, I think the next coach can win there if Dion wins because he sets them up. It's not the same blueprint. He's not going to get, you know, 40, 60% transfers or whatever. He's not going to so, recruit the same way. Let's just say Colorado wins a national championship in 2029. You know, they won one in 91 too, Ari? Are you, are 90? Are Cordell you Stewart, right? Yeah. No, no. No, he just threw the bomb. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. The Darian Hagen, I believe. So I'm going to continue with my question. 
Deion Sanders wins a national championship in 2028. Ooh, nice. So that's five full cycles from now, uh, including transfers and everything. And then he decides he's going to go be the head coach at Florida State in 2030. You think that Colorado would be a top-tier program moving forward after that? Because I think it would take five years before it was back to where it started. I, I Especially mean, it, if the talent accumulation. It depends on a, the coach because a bad hire can destroy coach programs we saw at Miami, like, you know, the slow. Why uh, are people committing to Colorado right now? Because of Deion Sanders. So is Deion Sanders going to do anything in his tenure? And maybe he will. That will get people to want to go to Colorado because of Colorado. He will put them on the map and they will be a cooler place to go. Yeah, the program will be elevated by winning games. Because it's already happened at Jackson State. Right. So, like, I'm trying to think of another program. Is going to be better off for these last two years or was it a cool story for two years? I'm trying to think of another FBA uh, Power Five program that's been elevated. It, obviously, it's not the same situation because we're not. It's not because like DM. the only reason they're getting good players is because they want to play for Dion. Right, but but it, if they win a national championship, that puts them in rarefied air that kids are going to want to go play at Colorado. They they grew up watching Dion. They grew up watching Colorado, so they want to go play at Colorado. Yeah, Even I mean, if, I guess I think that I it would probably improve there. They're going to go back to two and ten now. If they make a horrendous hire. Sure, that's possible. Then no program is immune to a bad hire except for like Ohio. I State. just don't know if there's anything to be learned from other programs watching this and saying, "Hey, no, we can I, do I that agree, too. I agree." Yeah, because like, you need like I, unless it makes you more likely to go hire a former player that has that has. But there's a not type many like bravado. like Illinois. Okay, let's look at Illinois, who's trending upwards with Brett Bielema. We get it, but like Illinois is not looking at what Colorado's doing and say we need to do that. They can't do that because there's. They didn't hire I, just, I wonder if this is going to be a trend, and I don't know if this is the same thing, but like UAB hired Trent Dilfer to be the head coach, right? And Trent Dilfer has been a media personality and uh, somebody who's involved with Elite 11 and, you know, kind of out there for people to see much for many more years since he won the, was the Super Bowl in 2000? I believe so. So it's been 22 years since he won the Super Bowl. That's like, Kids kind of know who Trent Dilfer is, right? He doesn't have the same bravado or the same flamboyant. What's the word? Is bravado the right word? Doesn't have the same. Uh, But I wonder if Deion Sanders, if he's successful at Colorado, if other programs in Colorado's previous state will take bigger risks in hiring big personalities or recognizable names who don't have a ton of experience coaching because they can see how quickly that coach would be able to create an infrastructure where people are talking about them. That's the thing that like, it's like, I think like, Deion's who, a one-off. I, I who, don't think there are people like that. And the, there's enough of a track record of like coaches without experience. It happens in college basketball a lot. Coaches, you know, people hiring uh, guys who weren't in coaching or for as first time coaches and they flame out like our NBA guys who aren't in the college game. I just, I just don't I'm see think, it. Like, I'm like looking at the best f- football players list from like 1990. But it's like, w- would Oklahoma okay, what, State what if Colorado, hire what if, Emmett Smith? Okay, what about Colorado hiring Peyton Manning instead of Dion? He played, he won a Super Bowl in Denver. Yeah, what if Peyton Manning decided he wanted to be the head coach at Kansas State? You don't think that would help? It would help. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe I'm just talking out of my ass here. 
But it's like, what if Charles Woodson wanted to go be the head coach at Michigan? You don't think that would be a thing? Yeah, but it's not Deion Sanders. No, I know, but if they they use that blueprint, John Elway, Michael Irvin, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Gronk to Arizona. If Troy Aikman decided to be the head coach at Baylor. Yeah, I don't know. I think Deion's kind of a one-off there. Um, Okay. One more mailbag question from Mark V. What is the ceiling when it comes to uh, recruiting for Wisconsin under Luke Fickle? I think he's showing that the ceiling's a lot higher than it's been. Would you? Yeah. Yeah, because recruiting doesn't mean just high schools anymore. Did you see how many how many offensive skill position players they got in the transfer portal this cycle? A lot more quarterbacks than most other people. Yeah, yeah, right. They're they're gonna have like nine quarterbacks. I mean, the fact they got C.J. Williams, the top one hundred player, would he be the highest rated skill position signing that Wisconsin's ever had? Just Uh, off the top of my head, who's ever been rated higher? Any of the running backs? Ron Dane? I don't know what he's... I don't know. Ron Dane was... I think he's the highest... Did you leave the 90s behind you? I don't think Ron Dane was in the 90s, was he? I don't know. If it was, he didn't have a recruiting profile. I got married in the 90s. I know. It's crazy. Uh, Like, I don't even think Jonathan Taylor was that high of a... CJ Williams was a top 50 player, right? Yeah, I don't know if he finished top 50. He was borderline five-star for a while, but uh, definitely top 100. Ron Dane is 44. So, yeah, he, yeah, he's, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I will never mention anyone. Jonathan born... Taylor was rated number 371 overall. Okay. Jesse um, Temple wrote about this. I think he is. He, 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 he might be the highest rated skill player. The highest rated skill player. What was Graham Mertz? Oh, Graham Mertz. Was he top 50? I mean, I can look. Um, I'm looking at their all time commits right now. Okay. Joe Thomas, not skill, but outstanding player. But he he wasn't rated that high. He wasn't. I mean, if you go look at their highest rated players ever signed, it's offensive tackle, defensive line, defensive line, tight end, running back. Mertz uh, is sixty five, by the way. I'll look up C.J. Williams. Yeah, but like even quarterback isn't isn't a skill player, like in that sense that I'm talking. Like I know C.J. Williams is seventy three. Okay, so. Yeah, second highest rated skill position player, but you know that's uh, and he was really early in his career too. So, and he was he was Williams. Not like he can't play. I don't think I talked to Antonio uh, Morales about him. Is sort of just stuck in a crowded yeah. position at USC, and they keep getting transfers from really really good players at his position. Yeah, who want to come play with uh, Caleb? So yeah, I find this really weird. Um, Antonio tried to get in touch with him, but Kyle Ford recruit transferring from USC to UCLA. Like I think in a few years that's going to be a story. We'll do like guys who played for like both sides of a rivalry. Like didn't that one dude transfer from Oklahoma State to Oklahoma? Yeah, there was a, a just, few, there was one player who transferred from Michigan to Ohio State during my time on the. Beat. I remember, that yeah, was it's a big, big story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, Zach how about Warren's this? I'll brother. stop talking about like the '90s if you stop talking about Ohio State. Okay, deal, deal. Although it's kind of hard not to talk about Ohio State since we're doing a recruiting podcast, but yeah, and you can alienate the largest fan base in America <laughs> if you want. <laughs> we love you, Buckeyes. Um, um, ready for a little trivia? Sure. Okay. Okay. Preface this by saying I up to, I did this question on Monday, so the composite rankings might have changed since I did this. I don't think they've changed yet. How many states produced at least five? Top 100 players in the 23 class. 
and name them. Six. Your improvement in trivia from when we started this podcast to now is sort of like, I don't know, who was it? Uh, Tulane? It's Jalen Hurts. I Tulane think. went from two and 10 to 10 and two or whatever, 11 and no, two. When we started this You're podcast. You're Willie Fritz. I was Jalen Hurts at halftime of the 2018 national title game. <laughs> yes. And now I'm Jalen Hurts, the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles who are playing in the NFC championship game on Sunday. Did I bet that I nail it? Don't get hurt. Did I nail um, the question? Was you nailed the six? question. Six. Now you got to name the states. Okay. Well, I'll just do the, the calculus that I did in my head when I was doing it. I'm going to look up the United States map. So I don't forget okay. anybody. Okay. So California has to be one. California is fourth on the list with eight. Okay. Uh, Florida. First with 22. That includes the six IMG guys. I did not parse them out. Okay. Texas. Texas is second with 17. Who was first? Florida, Florida. right? By the way, Texas had 17. Four to Oklahoma, four to A&M, three to Texas, and three to Alabama so far. Okay. Uh, So I've got one, two, and four. You got three more. Yeah, you got the first, second, and fourth. Okay, so I think third would be Georgia. Georgia is not on this. A stunning, Are you serious? Georgia, this is stunning. Four top 100 players, but Ari, listen, they've got 10 from 101 to 200. Okay. So a great year, a good year in Georgia, just not that as top heavy. So now I'm kind of, now I'm kind of stuck here, huh? Yeah, but you still got, I'll still give you the correct answer to the trivia. You still got the, okay, okay. so you need three more states. Pennsylvania. Incorrect. One of them you should get. We've talked about it a lot for its prowess in 2023 specifically. Uh, Louisiana. That is that is one of them, but that's not the one I was referring to. Louisiana is six, two to LSU, two to Texas, one to Bama, and one to USC. So now I'm, I'm looking for two. One of them you should get. One of them is difficult. Interesting. Um, hmm. You're going to be really pissed if when the one you don't get. South Carolina. Incorrect. Is it like an obvious one? It's an obvious one if you're a recruiting writer at The Athletic. <laughs> um, Alabama. I'm an yes. idiot. Yes. Because yeah. they're like, uh, yeah. 12. They had 12. Is that what you were making me fun? You're making fun of me for because that was yeah. the one that we've written about and talked yeah, about. Yeah. We, we talk about it all the time. We, they had 12, third most, five to Alabama and three to Clemson were the top. Okay. Two. So, and what which is the last spot that I'm missing? Do you want a hint or you just want. No, no. I don't want you to tell me the state. I want you to tell me where, what, where they rank on the through one through five. I got one, two, three, and five. One through six. No, you've got one, two, three, four, and five so far. Okay. So, six is a weird state, you're saying. Yes. It has one FBS program in it. None of the top five, none of the five, five 100 players went to that school either. Missouri. Correct. Two to OU, two to, uh, one to ND, one, and one to, uh, two to OU and ND, yeah, and one to Tennessee. Yeah. So to summarize that, five, six states produced at least five top 100 players in the composite. Florida with 22, Texas with 17, Alabama. <laughs> the with second 12. you told me that they didn't go to the school, I was like, Mizzou. <laughs> <laughs> Alabama with 12, California with only eight, 
We that's why Lincoln Riley is going to cost Ari a thousand dollars. Louisiana was six, and Missouri with five. Yeah, that was a good show. I enjoyed that. It felt like a. It felt like our first month together. Yes, you can always go. It's what you can always go back. What's the you know? You can always no. Go I thought home. the phrase was you can never go home. You can never. Well, we we proved that we can go home, Ari. Yeah. Old, well, old school. Speaking of going home, I'd like to go uh, start working on my story at my house. Uh, What's our plan you. for next week? By the way, we're going to do a signing day night. But like Wednesday late later, or uh, why don't I not... answer that question tonight when I see how hard it is to fill out a what to watch for signing day story? Okay, there's not there's not a lot to watch for. So why are you making me do this? Because you need to educate the people that. It, okay, thirty eight words. What to watch for signing day? Not much. Not much. Yeah, that's, that's less than thirty eight words. Yeah, we'll get up there, get a slap a photo on there. You get credit for a story. Yeah get some subs in there okay <laughs> yeah I th- i'm sure we'll have some sort of there's, signing there's stuff to talk about yeah um all right mitch thanks so much for kind of organizing that you do such a good job of that and such a great host uh thanks everybody for listening uh you're coming out in bigger numbers than you have been in the past so we are growing and because of that we are going to continue doing it i appreciate you so much for listening to the stars matter and we will catch you guys in one way or the other next week mm-hmm.